Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I am here with Alicia, Laura, Mia, and Stephen. And we're going to be talking about the 1927 film Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans, directed by F.W. Murnau. But before we go on, let's hear from everyone about one movie they've watched recently that they want to talk about here. Stephen, let's start with you. I saw on Sunday Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. It was the uh, 40th anniversary of it being released in the theaters. And that was one of the movies that my family and I saw when I was eight. <laughs> so it was uh, it was great to see it on the big screen again, just with an audience that was really into it. It's, it's such a great movie. Um, and it's also weird that the pacing is so different. The movies that they have now that are considered like action movies, I guess. I don't mm -hmm. even know if that's considered an action movie. It's more of like a space opera kind of drama, but it has some elements that are actually action oriented, but it was such a difference than seeing like the more recent Star Trek movies where it's just like wall to wall action. There was actually really quiet moments and some, some dramatic acting. So I really did like watching it um, with just a crowd of people that were super into the movie. You could hear a pin drop in there and it was just, it was a great experience. That yeah. sounds so fun. I think it's safe to say that that movie is an action movie compared to the first Star Trek movie too. Oh yeah. That one's just like, uh, <laughs> That, is After that a while, you're just like closing your eyes. Yeah. With the things that go in the ears. Yeah. Rather yeah. Khan is, yeah. It's gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing that when I was eight, I was like kind of giving nightmares yeah. for a while. Yeah. It yeah. creeped me out when Oof. I was a kid. Um, yes. All right. Well, Mia, what about you? So I finally watched Grease, which I mentioned on the podcast a few Yay. weeks ago, really wanting to watch after, I mean, just always, because I love that movie, but after Olivia Newton-John passed away. Um, so finally, it's like not really available on streaming stuff. And I guess I was kind of hoping that like it would pop on somewhere because I figure probably a lot of people are wanting to watch it. Um, but anyways, we just bit the bullet and rented it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it was like super fun. I, I have to say overall it didn't hold up as well as I had I mean I probably haven't seen it since I was in high school or something so I was a little mm. like hmm okay but like the song and dance numbers are so good but like I, the in-between stuff I was just kind of like oh yeah like I don't really care or like Ooh, this is a little like cringy at this point um but yeah was it just, the edited version or do they say pussy wagon no they say sin wagon okay yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. even know about that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I really I've heard. I don't think I've ever seen that one, but I know it exists. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did you notice how old everybody was as an adult? Stop. Like yes. when you're a kid, you just think everybody's yes. a, a grown up. But <laughs> yes. She's so rad. She can be fifty singing that shit. Mm -hmm. Oh, for I'm sure. So but like the T-Birds are all like ancient. Like I was just like, <laughs> oh my god, how did I ever think? I mean, yeah, it's like you're a kid, so you think everyone's ancient, but like. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> I remember Kanicki and Danny always looked somewhat young, but the other two guys are just like middle-aged oh Jewish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I should have looked up like how old they were cuz yeah, they're especially the one with the curly hair. I was like, are you 40? Like this is, <laughs> this is just wild here. Um, should be but yeah, that principle. <laughs> I know. Oh, I love the principal though. She's so great. And it was just, you know, it's great. But it was also kind of weird to me watching it like now and like thinking about like, oh, like in a few years we can show this to our child. And then I was like, this is like such a like a beloved American classic movie with like such a terrible message that like I would mm -hmm. never want my daughter mm -hmm. to internalize. But like, of course, I want to show her this movie because it's like so fun and great. You got to put you know? on some hot pants to get the guy. So, yeah, I'm, that'll be a fun bridge to cross in like a few years. But <laughs> Maybe by then TCM will have something they play before it like they do with Gone with the Wind. 
Oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really think because uh, Jeremy and I drove back from Florida recently, like since the last time we recorded, and we listened to, I don't remember which one, but we listened to a podcast that talked about Greece and um, the rewatchables. The rewatchables. Yeah. So it was just, and they were like digging into like more of the like, wait how does this make any sense? So they were at the beach all summer and like she never met any of his friends and like why does she just stay? And I was like, oh yeah, I remember like wondering this stuff as a kid even then. I was a very practical child and I was like, what do you mean? Like I know I'm wrapping it up. Anyways, it's a great movie. <laughs> still so good. Song and dance. Yay. But like definitely watching it as an adult, a bit of a different take on it. All right. Uh, well, we will break that off into a Greece podcast. Uh, Alicia, what about you? <laughs> I would love that. Oh my God. For the Patreon. No, no, no. It's not happening. Alicia, Greece. Alicia, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Greece also. No. Did you <laughs> perfect? <laughs> no. Um, nice segue. I, no, I, I I think I mentioned it in the Facebook group that I, I watched House of Gucci um last week and uh it was a lot of fun. And I didn't know that like Al Pacino and Jared Leto were in it. I really only knew that Lady Gaga and um Adam Driver, Adam Driver were in it. And so I was like pleasantly surprised and mystified for a minute when Jared Leto came on the screen I was like who am I looking I was like I know this has to be someone because they're giving him a lot of attention on his face and everything but like it took me a a few minutes to recognize him but um yeah their performances were like just crazy and bananas yeah and the accents the accents so like unnecessary and I don't know it was but it was a lot of fun is fun watch right so you're thumbs upping it basically yeah i mean it's not like you're not gonna get some like amazing life lessons out of watching it but it's fun you know like it's i loved it yeah yeah it was, yeah i i just specifically thought that was one of the worst death scenes i've ever seen in a movie that like stood out to me as being so weirdly shot and yeah, when they did that from anymore. above thing, that was a little strange. Since this is um, real news, I'm not spoiling anything. Yeah. Laura, what about you? I tried to tried to watch the new Elvis, the Baz movie. Mm. <laughs> and I, man, it was fucking painful. Um, it was an assault <laughs> on all of the senses. It was, I mean, I felt like I could even taste how how much... <laughs> It was wow. it was unfortunate. Like, mm. There was so many. Obviously, it was that whole Moulin Rouge, Romeo and Juliet, quick cut crap, you know, like crazy, wild, different editing and sound. And but it it wasn't even linear in this movie. It it didn't make sense. It was he- there was all this gospel music and it was kind of offensive on some level um if you haven't seen it you sh- don't but <laughs> or just watch it with the sound really low or like you know um and then and then obviously it's from the colonel's uh or the cat whatever colonel you know J- tom hanks is uh playing you know it's from his perspective and so we hear his weird kind of hybrid dutch strange accent throughout the entire thing that's supposed to be this like narrative that keeps it together and so there's all these quick cuts it's elvis women you know having orgasms and then every five seconds it's back to to his gin blossoms and this extreme close-up on his creepy prosthetic nose and 
finally, you know, I was so overwhelmed. I was like, you know, there's probably just 10 minutes left. I can't do this anymore. I stopped the movie. There was an hour left. <laughs> wow. And I was like, fuck this. You know, like, like, no way. Well, we've been rewatching. Um, well, for me, rewatching for Mia, some of it, uh, some of them, the first watch for her uh, Kubrick movies. I'll talk about Lolita because that's the one that I remembered the least. I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's maybe my least favorite Kubrick movie, other than maybe his early ones that are like kind of not fully formed. But um, I, I just don't think it's a very successful adaptation. I've never read the book, but from what I understand of what the book is, I don't think the movie really was capable of capturing that because of when it was made and just the uh, constraints that, that were on the movie and, and the way they could tell the story. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good in the movie, but overall, it's just sort of meandering. And at some point, I'm looking at my watch trying to figure out when this is going to be over. And I, Peter Sellers is even like not my thing in this movie. And I love him. But uh, I just think the the things he does in that movie are just a little too Peter Sellers-y. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, but it's a mixed bag. It's 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 worth watching. If especially if you've seen every other Kubrick movie and just want to like be a completist, but yeah, not great, not not my favorite. Um, anyway, so for those who may not have listened to the show before, this is a podcast where the five of us are discussing movies that have appeared on Sign Sound Magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made. It comes out every ten years. The next poll will be out sometime this year in 2022, so we're basically trying to watch some of the movies from past polls before the new one is out. And again, this time we're talking about Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans. But before we get into the history and background of the movie, what did each of us know about it going into this viewing? Who had seen it before? If not, what were you expecting, if anything? And since I picked this one, I'll start us off and also remind everyone why I chose it. So this is my first time seeing the movie. I knew some about it. I knew it was by F.W. Murnau, and I kind of knew what his deal was. I've seen one or two of his movies from before this. And the reason I picked it really was that it's the highest rated film from the 2012 Sight and Sound survey that we hadn't watched yet. And it was a blind spot of mine, but I really didn't know much about it past it being a Murnau film and that it's supposed to be very visually impressive. Uh, so that's what I knew going in. Uh, Mia, what about you? I didn't know anything about it going in. Okay. <laughs> and That was the least you said <laughs> about anything. I got to balance out. But I know a lot about Greece, and I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> I'm going to use my time to talk more about Greece. Exactly. <laughs> Reclaiming my Greece time. Actually, I would talk about Spartacus if I could talk about another film, because that was so fucking good. Oh, my God. It's so good. Um, but continue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Steven, Steven, what did you know about this movie, if anything? I, too, knew nothing about this movie. Okay. <laughs> I knew it was a silent movie, but that's probably about it. Okay. Laura? I remember seeing um, the kind of orange and yellow goldish box for the video in Scarecrow Video when I would have to organize all the video boxes. And I remember because it, it was organized by director. And um, I remember avoiding it because I knew it was a silent film. And okay. that's what I what I remember. And Alicia. 
yeah, so I did see this once before a couple of years ago um, and enjoyed it. And so I was looking forward to watching it again. And nice. I knew it's a little bit about German expressionism, but I, I didn't like dig deep into it when I watched it the first time. I just kind of watched it. Okay, so that's where we all stood on the film before watching it for this episode. And we'll get more into the film in just a moment. But first, let's take a break. And we're back. I'll start by reading a couple of excerpts on the film from a piece by Greg Ferrara for Turner Classic Movies series The Essentials, which you can find on their website. Sunrise isn't just an essential silent film. It is in many ways the essential silent film. Helmed by director F.W. Murnau and brought to life by actors Janet Gaynor and George O'Brien, Sunrise represents at once both the pinnacle of artistic cinematic quality in the silent form and the end of an era as well. It was as if silent film reached such a height with Sunrise that it was impossible to go any further, so the world may as well usher in sound. That's a bit of an overstatement, but only by a little. Murnau brings so much inventive and effortless blending of realism and expressionism to the fore that most other films, silent or otherwise, pale in comparison. Sunrise is filled with Murnau's signature optical overlays in which depth is built by adding layer upon layer to the scene until that which stands at even the remote ends of the screen are not only important, but just as vital to the scene's power as that in the foreground. It is precisely this kind of artistry that was lost in the first years of sound as cameras were battened down and the movies were more concerned with filming two people talking, often awkwardly, than visually telling a story. By the mid-30s, much of the visual fluidity of the late silent period had found its way back into film, but telling the story solely through pictures was lost. Sunrise Sands is the last great achievement of silent cinema before sound took over and silent film was relegated to a handful of masterworks by the great Charlie Chaplin who stood fast against the advent of sound for years. Again, that was from the Turner Classic Movies website. Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans is based on a 1917 short story called The Excursion to Tilsit, written by Herman Suderman. The film was Murnau's first in the United States, after he was brought over from Germany by William Fox to make something for Fox Film Corporation like the expressionist work he'd produced in his home country. Nosferatu, The Last Laugh, and Faust among those. As with his previous work, the art design is exaggerated or even distorted to represent the emotional and symbolic tone being striped for. Add in innovative camera work in one of the first synchronized soundtracks featuring a specifically composed score and sound effects, and the technical achievements alone begin to make it clear why the film has been popular and influential. The film was hailed as a masterpiece by many critics of the day. And it also holds the distinction of being the only film to ever win Best Unique and Artistic Picture at the Oscars, an award that only existed in the ceremony's first year. That same year, another award for Outstanding Picture, the precursor for today's Best Picture designation, was awarded to the movie Wings. Sunrise, though, was also the first ever winner for Best Cinematography at the Academy Awards. It was also nominated for Best Art Direction. And Janet Gaynor, winner of the first Academy Award for Best Actress, was given her award for not only Sunrise, but also two other films, Seventh Heaven and Street Angel. More recently, 
AFI listed Sunrise at number 82 in the 2007 version of their 100 Years, 100 Movies list of the greatest American films. As for our purposes, Sunrise has appeared in the top 10 of Sight & Sound's Critics Survey twice, at number 7 in 2002, and then at number 5 in 2012. Also in the 2012 polling, it was ranked number 22 by directors. And among the filmmakers who had it on their top 10 lists were Francis Ford Coppola and the Dardan brothers. And one more thing worthy of noting, Sunrise was released on September 23, 1927. Two weeks later, on October 6th, is when The Jazz Singer was released, ushering in the beginning of the sound era for motion pictures. And since this was my pick, I'll now start off the discussion with my thoughts on the film and whether it met my expectations. And I guess I'll say that I wasn't really sure what the movie was going to be. I didn't know that much about it. Like I said before, I knew that it was an F.W. Murnau film. I had seen Nosferatu before, and I feel like I've seen clips, at least, if not a full other of his movies uh, from Germany. So I knew that he made these visually rich films that are from like the German expressionist school. And uh, that's kind of what I knew. I didn't know much about the story. I knew that there was something with a, with a, a couple. And I kind of thought for some reason, I must've seen a cl clip or something in film school. I, I think I knew that there was something about a potential murder, but um, beyond that, I didn't know anything. I did not know like what the structure of this film is, which is kind of bizarre in a way. I didn't know like where it was going to go. Um, I think anything that I just described that I knew is pretty much the beginning of the movie um, or the first parts. I, I didn't know, like I said, where it was going to go at any point after that. And I ended up liking it, but it is, it's a journey, <laughs> I guess. Um, Steven, what did you think? I'm kind of in your boat. I wasn't really sure what to make of it at the beginning. Um, and I think my problem with it was that there wasn't enough like setup or there wasn't enough dialogue that was on, you know, they have the cards that kind of explain what's going on. And there was so threadbare with that. I wasn't really sure what to think. And just with the story unfolding at the beginning, it's felt sort of rushed. So I, I didn't really know what to make of the characters and like how I was supposed to feel. Um, just because with the, with the affair at the beginning, it, it just felt like it, it, it was like the basis for what else, what else happened in the first part of the movie. So it didn't, it was so rushed that like when the murder almost happens and then, you know, he tries to, the, the, the husband tries to get the wife like back and then they have this whole adventure. It, it just felt, it just felt wrong to me. Like, so it, it was hard to accept the rest of the movie after that. So for me, like, I think it was more like I liked it as a technical achievement of a movie than I actually liked the story because I felt like the story was pretty threadbare. Wait, so just just to clarify, you're saying um, I, I might have missed what you said. Uh, mm -hmm. You're saying that you couldn't get past the fact that he was willing to kill her or seemed willing to kill her. Um, is that what you said, basically? Yeah, yeah just yeah. the catalyst for it was just it seemed so rushed to me. Yeah. So when that happened and then like I was convinced with the love story and falling back in love like that worked for me. But the setup at the beginning, just it was so false for me, like I didn't buy it. And maybe it was just my headspace at the time when I was mm -hmm. watching it. But but that was it was hard for me to, to get past that. But I believed in their love story. So at the end, when you know, when all that transpires, I was really upset about the wife maybe being dead. But it, it just it was hard because it came from a place where I didn't really buy into it. 
Mm-hmm. So that's how I felt about it. But overall, I did like it just because technically it looked great. It kind of reminded me of like the general and that it was such a technical achievement that I feel like that was enough to just sort of visually, you know, be impressed. But other than right. that, like the story just wasn't there for me. Gotcha. Mia, what about you? I feel like I had like the exact opposite reaction of Steven. <laughs> so I was like super hooked immediately and then like extremely anxious for the remaining two hours. I was like completely bought into the story, was really stressed out about what was going to happen. Like, is he going to murder her? And then even when he doesn't, like the entire rest of the movie, I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like every time they were out doing something, I was like, is he going to push her in front of the cars? Like, is he going to suddenly change his mind and try and murder her again? Like when the woman um, is giving him the manicure or tries to give him the manicure and like, I was like, wait, is that the vacationaire lady, you know? I was like, oh my God, is he going to be reminded of his love and like decide he wants to kill his wife? Like I just was, I could not relax, which wasn't exactly enjoyable, but I felt like, wow, for a movie with, you know, a silent film with very few title cards compared to other silent films, at least that I have seen, I thought it was just such a testament to their acting abilities to be able to convey so much emotion and feeling and expression with so little else. Um, But yeah, I just like could not relax. And then I want to wait and talk about the ending because it didn't go. I think I thought it was going to go more like, I guess, what is the ending in the actual story and was going to be a little like, fuck you to the husband. But I guess it wasn't. Or it wasn't. But I'll I'll hold and we can talk about that later. Okay. Alicia? I remember liking it and being really interested in it the first time I watched it. I was just like, well, like, where's this going? Like, because it, because the like attempted murder does happen pretty early on. uh, Yeah. You are kind of like on tenterhooks for the rest of the movie until everything gets resolved. But this time, because I already had seen it and I already knew what happened. I had, I had a little bit of a harder time um, focusing, but I mean, yeah, I tried to focus this time more on the performances and the uh, Janet Gaynor is doing such a great job um, being so believable. I mean, even though like that style of acting is very over the top and sort of melodramatic, I do think she really, she's lovely. (laughs) Like she's beautiful and she's sweet and she's forgiving and she's conflicted and I mean I just bought I just bought her performance entirely she's wonderful um the the man that plays the husband whose name escapes me right now he's George O'Brien I believe George O'Brien um so that was sort of what I focused on this time um it is a kind of a shallow story when you're watching it the second time it is a little bit like okay um although I I have to admit like at the end for a minute I was like did the wife die I was like, I don't think that's how this ended, but maybe that's what happened. Um, so they, so they still did get me in the end. Um, so uh, by that point, I, I, I do think it was. Uh, I have to say, it was like still an enjoyable overall experience. So, and Laura, I had problems in the beginning only in the sense that I had to adjust to watching a type of film that I haven't seen in a really long time. The you know slow ex- eye expressions, the over, you know, wrought moments and turning. And once I got into the groove of it, I mean, 
basically it was sort of after the, you know, when she starts dancing wildly to sort of connote that they're about that they were having sex. Um, I th- <laughs> I think then I kind of I started to really get into the film and the pacing and um, I just thought it was incredible. Uh, I really it was just quite such an achievement for what he did. Um, so many in- amazing, you know, visual like overlays and performances and. You know, it had me uh, like a, right about twenty minutes in is when I got hooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I actually want to bring in. I wasn't expecting to bring this in until everybody was talking about what they watched since last time. But is Boz Lerman the FW Murnau of today? Because <laughs> he's like this maximalist filmmaker who's just like, I'm going to put everything. I can think of on the screen and it's either going to work for you or it isn't. And it's a mixed bag. Um, I, I'm not saying he's as, as gifted as FW Murnau was. I, cause I don't think that's the case. Maybe others will, but um, I, I do think that there's a through line in terms of like their approach to filmmaking of like, it's melodramatic. This is a melodrama. It's over the top. He wants to show you the emotions. He wants you to feel the emotions. And, you know, at this point, it was only a visual medium. I mean, this has synced sound, so it's not entirely true, but it's still like largely true that that's what he has to give you. That's what he has to work with is just like making you see the emotion on screen. And it like so the it's these over the top performances where. You see the way they're feeling and the way they're moving, the way they hold themselves, like they hunch up or like release themselves. And it's just like, you know, very uh, overwrought, as somebody said. But yeah, I mean, all of that <laughs> could be used to describe Boz Lorman and maybe in a deprecating way. But I do, like I said, think there's a through line, whether you like it or not, maybe. I was going to choose a Baz Luhrmann movie as my answer to the bonus question at the end of this episode. Well, there you go. I've never seen a Baz Luhrmann movie. What? Have you ever seen Strictly Ballroom or Priscilla? No, (gasps) I haven't. Romeo and Juliet? They're great. Moulin Rouge? Moulin Rouge? He said he had Am I going to say no every time you say (laughs) (laughs) The Great Gatsby? He's only made like seven movies. You have to. Oh, my God. I've never seen any of them. Strictly Ballroom is is good. Romeo and Juliet. Australia? (laughs) I have not seen Australia. I have not seen Australia. (laughs) Well, you shouldn't. Um, I, I also was going to say when I when I first read the over the top, I immediately thought of Moulin Rouge and I wasn't going to bring it up only because I talked about it for something else like a month ago or something. And I didn't want to be like, oh, my God, people are going to think I don't watch anything besides Moulin Rouge. <laughs> but I totally agree. I think there's definitely the through line and I can. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, that kind of got to me after a while, honestly. It was just like, it felt like a kitchen sink approach to everything. Not that mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy watching it, but it was just sort of like, what else can I do that's going to be crazy? You know, and, and so after a while, I was just paying attention to the scenes, but I wasn't really thinking about it as a coherent movie. And maybe that was the point. Right. Well, I, I think there there used to be this idea of trying to achieve pure cinema, which I think was more of a thing that people were reaching for in the silent era, because... Again, it was it was seen as like a visual um, medium. And I think once sound came in, 
Uh, a lot of filmmakers felt like the idea of pure cinema was was no longer achievable in the same way. And I, I think the the way that that TCM article that I cited at the near the beginning of the podcast, uh, the way they describe it of like this being like the, um, you know, the culmination of the sound of the silent era and like the last great work of the silent era before sound started two weeks later, I, I think is interesting and important maybe to, to take note of. And, uh, but, but I do think that there is something about this film that like, it is throwing the kitchen sink at you, but it, it's, it has a purpose. It's, it's not like willy nilly. Like he wants you to feel every emotion as fully as you can. And he's trying to tap into it all visually. Um, what do you with, mean with by that- throwing the kitchen sink? He's using every inch of the frame. Every performance is like big and is just coming at you. Um, and then just like the 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 actual story itself, it's like then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It's like this. It's this, <laughs> you know a series of episodic events that just like you know kind of climax at some point. But that um, could also be like a Scorsese after hours kind of thing, where you know sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree. I mean, I think that I, I, I would be surprised if uh, if this isn't an influence on a filmmaker like Scorsese. I mean, like it's got to be. He, right. He's a student of film like nobody else is. But Alicia, was he not trying to basically tell the story only visually? Maybe that's what you're saying. He's only trying yeah. to tell the story visually. He's trying his mm-hmm. like darndest to yeah. not. I mean, he didn't use... want any title cards in the movie. Yeah. He was forced to have the two or three that are in it or whatever. It's not very many, but yeah, he, he yeah. wanted, I think that's what he was going for because like, the, like I said, there was this, there was this goal among some, some of the top filmmakers at the time, especially the ones that were considered the more artistic ones to like achieve pure cinema of, of something that you could only do in this moving visual form. Um, so it seemed like that's what he was going for. And so do, do people think he achieved that as much as you could in that day? I think so. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, there there are only like maybe three title cards in it. So, I mean, obviously he didn't one hundred percent achieve it, but if you get so much emotion from it, and you, I think you totally understand what's going on through the acting and the the film techniques. And I'm not really qualified to speak on all of that, but worked for me. Like I said earlier, I was even while they were like back in love and having all these adventures around the city. And I guess like the fun part of the movie, I was still very anxious the whole time that like things were suddenly going to go sideways. But I also thought of it as kind of these little vignettes almost because it's just kind of like they're, they're at the photographer's studio and like some funny stuff happens there. And then they're at the hair salon and some like funny or obnoxious things happen well, more than obnoxious because he like almost stabbed someone there, which yeah. I was also like at that moment, like, honey, like this is not a good man to like be around. <laughs> like, no, no, no. So from a modern perspective, I was very concerned in this <laughs> for her safety. But anyways, but like, and you know, then they go to the amazing fair thing and there's the little pig running around. And I don't know, it just to me, it just felt like, you know, the, this great day when you're out and you just kind of like keep having these adventures. So I guess to me, it didn't feel like, oh, it's like too much coming at me because it was kind of like, okay, something happens and then something else and then something else. But I don't know. It just, it worked for me. 
Um, also just the the scenes with the street and all the cars and the trains and all that. I just I loved the energy of those. It just to me really just captured like being in the big city at when mm-hmm. there's cars and stuff. I don't know. It was great. I loved it. A great day when my husband tried to kill me instead. And then he tried to kill someone else. Yeah. Right. Tried well, to ki- and then tries to kill the other woman later too. Yeah. So like this man like Two almost kills three people in the span of twenty four hours. Like right. is well, this who you want to have children with? No. Well that's why well they already had one, so I know. Yeah, so. <laughs> like, they'll have more. They'll, they're back in yeah. love. They're definitely gonna have more children. Yeah. Mm. Well, I bought it. I mean, just because he, you know, he was such a great actor that, you know, he could be menacing one minute and then so like loving the next. So that's why I never was felt like he really had turned the page once he was like, I do love you after all. And then they had a great day in the city. I never thought anything of it after that, that he would ever turn on her. Right. But I, I also think it's part of the form. It's, it is it is a melodrama and there's something kind of operatic about it. It's like big over the top emotions and it's stuff that doesn't really make total sense. If you try to look at it as, as real life, it's, it's, it's expressionistic purposefully using that word. That's his shtick. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what Murnau does is he wants to express the emotion and have it on the screen for you to take in. He doesn't want to have to tell you what it is. You know what I mean? Felt more like a parable almost. Like it didn't yeah, feel like an actual, sure. yeah, like a, a fully, you know, formed, you know, theater play or something like that. And they also didn't have names from what I, when I read, like it was like the man, the wife. So it did feel like sort of like these are archetypes or, mm-hmm. you know, at the end you're like, and this is why you shouldn't try to kill your wife. You know, that was the moral of the story. Right. Yeah, I think the um I think the two female characters were supposed to represent like good and evil and it was mm-hmm. his struggle. So because of women, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I know there is <laughs> it is a little antiquated in that. But but I, I also think it's this. it's something about like modernity and uh you know, like pastoral life, you know, like it's it's the modern the city mouse world. versus the country mouse. Yeah, yeah the exactly. evil city mm. mouse, obviously. And the tempt the temptress from the city. You know, like it's the city is is this evil looming. You know, but also like where they go to have fun. So it's like this mixed bag. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. It's, so nuanced. It's complicated. It's so nuanced. <laughs> Laura, I'm, I feel like you're not buying any of this. Like you're. you're <laughs> Hey, you haven't said you, that. You're sitting there like, quiet. yeah, I don't, I don't think that I don't think this stuff like what, what is your take? I'm curious. I, it's not that I disagree with anyone. Um, I just, just thought I went for the, went along for the ride of it. Yeah. And I, once I got into, I was like, okay, you know, aside from all the problematic stuff as you know, we took the rib, so now we are punishing men forever. You know, like I just kind of just kept thinking about the fact that, yes, you know, women and still women do plot to try and steal men from other women. Like this is not that impossible, you know. So, and then I just sort of went with it and all the different hijinks, you know, that that came upon them. I think a lot of different directors do stuff like that, um, like even Linkletter, you know, it's just – it's. It's surprising. It's it's hard to swallow, but it's it's in in looking at it in its entirety. It's just this incredible, successful piece uh, that I that that's what I came away with. But again, I don't disagree with anyone. That's just how I thought about it. 
Yeah, I mean, this movie has a drunk pig in it, so. <laughs> yeah, it became you know, an animal it's... rights movie. I know. I was like, oh my God. I was just saying, like, I, how can you lose? How can you lose when your movie has a drunk pig in it? Come on. <laughs> cute. That kind of thing. Oh, I liked Great. the woman whose sleeves kept falling down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that cracked me up. Yeah. That, that no was a funny scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was not expecting to see that in this movie. Like, because so much of the rest of the movie, you're with these two characters, and suddenly you're cutting away to this other pair that is not central at all. It, it, so I don't know. It's just kind of funny that there was room for that in this movie and it, and it didn't feel out of place, I guess it was entertaining. It it actually was kind of bothering me though. Cause it was while they were doing their dance and like every yeah. time it cut back to them, they were doing like crazy, like twirls and flips and stuff <laughs> like that. And I was like, can we watch the freaking dance please? Like can't the sleeve falling thing happen like in five minutes? So I was like out of all the scenes to cut away from it's this okay. one, but Whatever. I love a dance. So, And I'm just curious um, who, if anyone, had any experience with German expressionists or any other sort of expressionist filmmaking um, other than this before they watched this. Had anybody seen any of Murnau's other films or like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? Not That's not his, but that is another example of ex- German expressionism. Well, I've seen Metropolis. I think yeah, that counts definitely. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm you know I really haven't seen that many, and I have probably should rectify that. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, there's good Metropolis. stuff. I, I, I like think Nosferatu. It's, I haven't yeah. seen that. I saw Nosferatu, yeah, Nosferatu and I saw Dr. Caligari too. I was going to say that Guy Madden is um, kind of a surrealist who I think is strongly influenced by German expressionism, having seen a few of his movies, like four or five. Um, but now I kind of need to see the originals, I think. Right. This film depends on a certain amount of dramatic irony, even leading us to believe that after all they've been through, the wife has maybe died. But in the story that the film is based on, the husband the husband died as the wife is saved by the means he'd originally planned for his escape. He reads or whatever, I guess. Um, so do you find the way the film resolves to be ultimately satisfying? Uh, yeah, I don't think it was very satisfying to me. Unfortunately, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the magnificent Ambersons where it sort of was like, everything was fine. Yay. It all worked out after mm-hmm. that kind of the journey of, you know, him trying to, kill his wife or like he has the affair and then he kills his wife or tries to kill his wife. And then they go on this journey where they fall back in love with each other, which I totally was invested in. And then towards the end, you know, it sort of falls apart for me. Um, so I felt it a little bit dissatisfying. I think I would have preferred it if, if the wife had died, even after all of that, just because I did actually feel for the whole story. So I, I, you know, even though I don't like to move, leave a, movie feeling sad about something i just felt like it was better for closure because he ended up getting what he wanted initially but it ended up not being what he wanted yeah i kind of thought it was going to end up being sort of a a dark gift of the magi sort of situation mm-hmm. where i i did think the husband was going to die like mm-hmm. trying to save the wife which i guess is kind of what happened in the book um and then when that didn't happen i i was sort of not, I don't know. It sort of took me aback, but then I, I guess like what they're going for is that there's a catharsis in him booting the 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 uh, city girl, you know, like the the temptress, 
Like that's supposed to be like the resolution of everything. And like everything's right now because she's back where she's supposed to be. Mm. Um, yeah, rid of the whore. Yeah. 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 Cast out of the garden. Yeah. I but, actually um, liked the ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Laura, you like the ending? Yeah. So, so what? Totally what into it. How, how did you find it um, satisfying? Wait, well, her performance was just, like Alicia said, incredible throughout the whole mm-hmm. film. And at the end, it was just really nice to see her happy <laughs> right. because my, my heart was with her at that point. It does work for me, but I would prefer to see them <laughs> separate <laughs> <laughs> after this. I didn't need him to like die or anything or, you know, I didn't need him to get some like huge karmic retribution right there. Like, but yeah, you should not. Um, how could you ever trust someone again after they try almost drown you like this close to drowning you? Like, I mean, the movie works for me. And I do like Steven said, I do believe I did believe that they found each other again. And I love that scene in the church where they watch the other couple get married and they sort of, you know, come back together again. It's beautiful. But yeah, I'd like he, and and as we already mentioned, he tries to kill two other people throughout mm-hmm. the course. It's like, get away from this guy. But on some level, like, what would be her options? You know, like, no, I know, you know, I know, but I know, I know. You probably shouldn't think that way, though, to really get into the film. But I couldn't help but think I think that I'm looking way. at it at a modern, from like a modern yeah. perspective. Mm-hmm. But I, I understand. Like, I'm happy for them in the moment. But like, if you're asking, did I feel like? I was satisfied by the resolution right. only so far, like only so much, you know? Not yeah. Fully. I think if, if they were trying to tell a realistic story, it would be totally unsatisfying for him to, uh, for her to end up with him because she's, she doesn't deserve that kind of like whatever he's got going on. Cause you, you just, is he going to stay in love with her or is he going to just right. lose it again? You know? But I think within the framework of it being this melodrama or the, even this fable or, whatever we want to call it, I think it it does make sense and I find it satisfying because it, it's like trying to go th- for for something, a bigger theme, you know? It's not trying to go for realism. Um, but Mia, what did you think? So I was like, okay with the ending. Like, it was fine. You know, I was definitely, when they were journeying, starting to journey back, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, do not get in a boat with this man. Like, is there no other way you can get back home? Like, I just like was like, I can't believe this. You know, I get it. It's a movie and all that. But I was very anxious. Like I said, like seriously, this whole time I was just like, oh, my God, when is he going to turn? Like, you just you can't trust, you know, Have you watched too so, many murder podcast or listen to many murder podcasts or something. On a, or? I think I'm just a woman in America. Like, yeah. I'm just like no, <laughs> exactly. like, I'm sorry. It like I just I mean it's like honestly like I know it's a movie I know it was made like almost a hundred years ago all of that stuff but I was just like he had enough you have a young child and he is having this passionate affair he tries to murder you and then you just like go on with this ha- the great day and then you get back in a boat with him like I just I it was just hard for me like I like again like I really liked the movie and I was like really into it but like just. And I, I was like, oh, wow, like this is like I said at the beginning, like this is such a good movie that it's having such an impact on me. But I was just like really anxious for her the whole time. So anyways, so I was like, OK, with the ending, like obviously, you know, fine. They seem happy. Hopefully he's like reformed his ways and all of that. But I definitely thought 
that one of them was going to die. And I thought if she dies, okay, hopefully he feels guilty for the rest of his life and just is like really miserable. Um, And if he dies, she's like rid of him and like, ha ha, you thought you were going to kill her. And she ends up saving. Because I was like, okay, if he dies, it's totally going to be because she like saves herself with the reeds, you know? So um, yeah. So I think it might have been like a better ending if one of them had died. But I was like, fine that they lived. And I think there was enough tension when you think she's dead, even though I was like, we haven't seen a body yet. So like, there's no way, you know, movie, (laughs) movie rules. Um, And then it was cute when like everyone in the village is there. And, you know, I also thought it was just like really when they all like run to the water, I was like, wow, like small town life, you know, they're like everyone like to the boats, like we have to go save them, even though they're or save her, even though we're like in the middle of a hurricane right now. It's like the quintessential Hollywood ending. Like everything mm-hmm. works out in the end. Yeah. The mm-hmm. evil woman gets sent away. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally like the, it, it totally took a tragic story and was like, mm-hmm, Hollywood yeah. this up. Yeah. <laughs> Americanize <Exactly>. this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's why I didn't like it, I think. It was just too, it was just too like tied up in a bow. Yeah. Okay. So those are our thoughts on Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans. We'll share our final thoughts on the movie and answer our bonus question after this break. And we're back. So what was everyone's favorite scene or moment or element of the movie? It could be just like the smallest thing. It could be a whole scene or a piece of music uh, sound effect in this case. Whatever. Um, Laura, what did you like in this movie? There were so many amazing details in in regards to the scenes, but I think the one that was the most captivating is when they were walking and the background moved and they were probably walking in place. And then um, it's as if they're walking in a field, but really they're being um, almost hit by tons of cars that all stop and then all of a sudden they're mm-hmm. back to reality and all the cars are, are honking at them. I thought that was really incredible. I also loved the fair. Like the way they built that fair out was just wild. Totally. Steven? I think two came to mind. I think it, really early on in the movie, I think there's a scene with um, the cruise ship and then the woman in the bathing suit. Like I just like the way that that was constructed. It looked almost like a painting. Um, and as far as one of the other scenes go is I, I liked that interplay that the wife and the husband had when they were getting their photos taken and they thought they had broken the statue and, uh, it just didn't have a head on it to begin with, but they didn't know that. So they put the little ball on the top and then they ran out and the, the, um, the photographer was just like, oh, that was hilarious. So I I enjoyed that scene just because it was like a nice little comedic moment. Okay. And, uh, Alicia. Yeah, I'll just say, again, I think my favorite thing this time was just Janet Gaynor's performance. Um, yeah, that's that's what I have to go with. She's just great. Mia? I really loved the street scenes, like I said earlier, just the energy of the cars moving everywhere and stuff was awesome. And then also the fair. Um, it really reminded me of what Coney Island must have been like in its heyday. Um, which is if I could transport back to like one thing in New York, it would be like 1930s, I guess, 1950s Coney Island. Um, so it was cool to see that. 
1920s maybe yeah the dog the dog i liked that i was like don't drown the dog (laughs) oh that dog i liked when the dog tried to yeah when the dog tried to save her yeah yeah yeah, yeah. smart dog um well i'm with laura i i really liked that sequence where they're walking together in their in their own world and the way that they shot that with rear projection or something going on and they're like walking in place or something and then there's cars going behind them so just thinking of how they pulled that off and um how big a deal that probably was to do all that stuff back then and then the fact that it it's when when they dissolve i think it's dissolved to the to the um country setting as as laura described before it's totally drawing attention to itself and drawing attention to like this is a movie this is a we're doing something here pay attention to this like i i I think that that's always a ballsy move for a filmmaker to do because it can just blow up in your face and you could be like what the fuck is this but (laughs) it, it totally works i think in this instance and it's very entertaining and sweet and uh yeah i really liked it a lot so um has the movie as far as we're concerned stood the test of time or another way of framing it do you think it resonates today and i'm interested in this one because i I feel like with these older movies um and especially because it some of the stuff we touched on like this could be um I, i wonder what everyone has to say about it alicia what do you what do you think i don't know if it resonates i think it's it's a, it's a type of story that we continue to do. And so I think it's been done better and more effectively since then, although we're talking using sound and that type of thing. So I think like for that, it's, it's a really interesting achievement and like a really interesting artifact, but I don't know if it like resonates. I I don't know if it, if I would, if I would say it like still resonates, I think, yeah, I think it's one of those examples of where, maybe like the original thing or the first thing is cool, but not necessarily like the the best thing, the best example or the best version of it. Okay. Mia? Um, I, I think it has stood the test of time and I think it still resonates. I think like it was, I was just so sucked into it right away. And I think it, especially knowing kind of the timing of how it worked out where it was like, the last and greatest question mark in some people's opinion, at least silent film. I think if I was going to tell someone like, oh, you should like watch a silent film, like this is probably one or one of the two that I would recommend to someone. Yeah, I think it resonates. I think it stands the test of time. I think the acting is incredible. Like put it in a time vault, show it in another hundred years. It'll still be good in my opinion. All right, Stephen. I'm kind of with Alicia on this. I think that um, it's a technical achievement, but in terms of the story, I don't know if it's really strong enough for it to stand the test of time other than it being kind of a generic story. Um, But technically it looks really good. And like what Mia had said is also true is that, you know, lock it in a vault and see it in a hundred years, you're still going to be impressed by it. Um, So in that case it does, but in terms of the story, I don't think it does. Laura. Uh, Yes, I absolutely think it does. Um, Infidelity is just part of human nature. I think um, it's, you know, the way this story is told, 
has some, you know, a little bit of issues, but um, I think it's just an incredible achievement. And I think it's absolutely resonates with things that happen all the time. Okay. And I, I think I'm with Alicia in the way she parsed it, that I think it does stand a test of time as being a good piece of entertainment, I think in some ways, as both she and Steven described, the story does seem antiquated. I think anybody who's willing to sort of acclimate to what the movie is trying to do, the style of it and all is going to get something out of it. But I, I'm not sure if it's going to be for everyone. Um, I think anybody could look at it and be impressed by it, but might not enjoy the story as much as we did because we're coming into it with this open mind about what we're watching and this purpose of why we're watching these films. But I think it's a great movie. Um, I think some people are just closed-minded to silent films, especially. Um, I certainly was. I did not want to watch this. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Uh, I guess you got one over. Um, <laughs> so why don't we move on to our bonus question? Uh, keeping it real simple, but on theme with what this movie is, and I feel like we've already started touching on this, uh, but what is your favorite over-the-top movie? Steven. I had a hard time with this because I'm trying to think of any over the top movies that I've seen that are like completely over the top other than just being ridiculous. Cause I've seen a lot of ridiculous movies, but ridiculous can think- be it. <laughs> um, I'm thinking about maybe Pee Wee's big adventure. Cause there's just like a lot of comedic parts too. And it is sort of like larger than life, but I can never not watch that movie and have a good time with, with how ridiculous it is. It's a great answer. Oh, was it? Okay. There's no basement in the Alamo. <laughs> <laughs> Mia? I had a lot of, well, not a lot, but like at least a few movies for this. Like I already said, you know, Moulin Rouge. I think any Boslerman movie would fit in here. Um, but I'm going to go with The Beach Bum. Has anyone, I know Jeremiah's seen it. Has anyone else seen that movie? Mm-hmm, the Harmony Crean movie. Yeah. Yeah, like 2019 total stoner. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey is like a stoner poet in the keys. And like Jimmy Buffett is in it and Snoop Dogg and Isla Fisher, I think is how you say that. Martin Lawrence. Yeah, like it's just like a ridiculous, like I thought it was hilarious. And I feel like it's like one of those movies that like I remember people kind of talking about it when it came out. And then I was like, wait, what was that movie again? Like, I feel like it kind of came and went fast. But I highly recommend it if you want to watch like a cheesy Florida beach. And it's it's Harmony Crunch. Like if you've seen Spring Breakers, like, you know, he also is definitely an over-the-top filmmaker in general. So, Laura? Um, yeah, I love that movie, Mia, by the way. Awesome. Um, there's, not so- a, I, I, there's not a lot of fans, so I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Harmony is pretty polarizing. But um, so for me to make this work in my head, I had to give myself parameters because it's so general and there's so many things that are over the top and it could it be fantasy or this or that. So I just thought vampires. I was like, I was going to stick with vampires and I'm going to make, you know, choose which one is the most over the top. And I was going through my head like, is it Underworld? Is it the Lost Boys and stuff? You know, so it was, this was complicated. I had some you know, some internal arguing with myself, which happens a lot. Um, But I went with Daughters of the Darkness, the 1971 horror, sort of lesbian, erotic vampire film that takes place in this resort in France. And 
it's super wild so and visually stunning so if you haven't seen it and you like sort of b horror movies then this is this is definitely something to watch alicia um yeah i was gonna go with a Baz Luhrmann movie too because as we talked about he's like the most direct correlation that i made but as i was listening to everybody else's answers i i sort of started thinking about Sofia Coppola movies. And I don't think she makes anything like crazy over the top. Like her movies have like some over the top elements, but I think her most over the top is probably Marie Antoinette. And I, I did really like that movie and I loved how she used like eighties sort of new wave and punk in there. And um, yeah. And the costumes and the sets and it's a little bit over the top. And I, and I think it's really effective and well done. I didn't know where you were going with that. Cause I think of Sofia Coppola as being so chill Yeah, you know, movies being very, like very chill, but yeah, Marie Antoinette is definitely over the top. They're so definitely a one. mood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I totally think that's a great but... answer for sure. <laughs> totally. Um, well, since, uh, since we've had Boz Lorman come up multiple times in this, he's definitely not my pick, but I do want to highlight that maybe Australia is the most over the top movie I've ever seen. And it's a fucking debacle. Um, but the movie I'm going to pick is my favorite over the top movie of the moment, at least is uncut gems. Uh, cause it's just a movie that it, it's not even like really the story as much as just the filmmaking. It just like. The tension just keeps ratcheting up, and yeah, yeah, by the end, it's it's a stressful movie to watch. But like, it's I I love it. It's it's uh, the good kind of stressful movie, um, (laughs) in my opinion. (laughs) Um, So, our next episode is Mia's fifth pick. Mia, do you want to tell us about what that is? Yeah. So my pick is The Grapes of Wrath, directed by John Ford. It was released in 1940, and it is available to rent via Apple, Amazon, Google, etc. All right. So that's it for this episode of the Stereoactive Movie Club. We invite you to join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Stereoactive Movie Club. You can also email us at stereoactivemovieclub at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to the show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or anywhere else that allows you to do that. It definitely helps others to find the show. Also, you can get updates about the show by following Stereoactive Media on Instagram or Twitter. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.